0: Wow, wow, wow. I've been listening to so much Marvel Gaye, man. It's sick. Yeah. See, that's the thing I should have been. Right. I should have been doing that. Right. <laughs> been. It's like there's all kind of shit I'm gonna do differently after hearing <laughs> "Hear my dear for two, three times. Shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, after hearing
1: uh, I want you, that's all hey. types of shit, I I'm you to <laughs> do. Hold on, dude, that's a little bit too much information.
2: Welcome to the B side.
0: Episode eighteen. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and as always, I have Scoop Jackson, Isaac Perry, Jahan Overseas, and I always accentuate the fact that he's overseas because this is an international show. It's not just four guys around the table. We 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 are global. I thought I thought that was
3: his last name, <laughs> Jahan <laughs> Overseas.
0: His last name, right? Each one of us, I think, we have our own individual pressure points where there's a there's an artist or two that whenever that artist is mentioned our ears perk up i think prince is that person with me i think dilla is that person with jahan yeah scoop i'm actually not sure
2: I'm, yeah. it's, it's, so it's, 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 don't it's say be tough to find don't
0: me, say no, it's it. gonna be tough don't say it because i'm still looking
3: yeah good luck good luck finding that one i'm not i don't get protective of artists the way you do. You all cheat some of these artists like married to <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, this episode, we're going to talk about whom I think oh, is you. Isaac's yep. pressure point. Mm-hmm. And that is Marvin P. Gaye. And we're focused today on Marvin because we're approaching the 40th anniversary of his seminal classic, Let's Get It On. And this is the album that codified Marvin as the, the sensual, romantic, sexual soul singer. Behind music, this is one of those albums that might be the cornerstone of, of, of that canon. Maybe music. that's
3: the connection. because i said a
2: month after that uh, release.
0: So that's maybe a maybe that's the connection. gestation, right. <laughs> right? Right, right. <laughs> Embryo, fetus, legs. <laughs> Isaac came out singing. <laughs> but you know, the curious thing about Let's Get It On is that it was pro, I think. When I listen to it, it sounds like it's the second, maybe third time that Marvin changed his sound. The album before that, "What's Going On," was a uh, a, a drastic a sea change of material that Marvin was singing um, against his previous material for for Motown. He stopped singing two and a half minute radio friendly Hitsville, U.S.A. staples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got off the he got off the assembly line. He got off the assembly line. That's a great way to put it. And then also, what's going on? Uh, I guess anger might be a good word for it. Barry Gordy, Motown's head. I know more. I know Barry hated it when he first heard it. Yeah,
1: if you if you go back a little bit, and it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. That anger component that came into Marvin's voice even prior to what's getting on. If you listen to um, the hits that he had with Tammy Terrell, uh, which were like in the you know sixty seven through like sixty nine, and then if you contrast that with the songs that came immediately after that or kind of like during that which were uh uh you chained um and the grapevine obviously. That's all I was about to, that's that's the one Yeah if you listen to all and I did this the other day cuz I knew we were going to do the show so I listened to three of the kind of sweet innocent love songs which were you know your precious love and mm-hmm uh Ain't No Mountain and uh uh if I could build a whole world around you. I listened to those three songs and then immediately after that I listened to You Chained and Grapevine right. and the contrast in Marvin's voice, you know what I'm saying, and the emotion yeah. was just uh it was night and day. Yeah, it was. And if you look at everything that was going on in his life around that time with Tammy uh getting ill and then 3 years later dying, the war uh, his everything brother. his brother coming back from the war everything that was going on you start to understand really how you know the gestation period of what's going on but I was also thinking I was listening to Mike uh, to Michael Jackson and I was like man Michael started to develop a lot of anger in his voice too mm-hmm. in the mid 80s yeah it kind of annoyed me you know as as Michael got older in the 90s and late 90s he still had that anger in his voice and I think I, I, I kind of understood where it's coming from but He never, to me, never really uh, focused it the way Marvin focused it.
3: Michael wasn't a poet. See, that's the difference. He was, but I think it's also
1: life experience.
0: Well, I'm glad that you bring up anger because I I think Marvin was angry at Motown and Barry Gordy specifically over Tammy Terrell because it wasn't just so much that she got sick. She had multiple surgeries to try to correct a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And over a period of three years, she literally disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And there was some question of whether or not royalties that Barry Gordy had promised the Terrell family that they would receive to offset her medical costs were in fact fulfilled. And Marvin grew very wary of Motown.
1: Well, he always he even had became
0: a, a quasi recluse behind that.
1: Well, he always had a tumultuous relationship with Barry Gordy. He looked at him as a as a father figure, you know. So he had a he kind of went back and forth between wanting to impress, you know, Barry, and also competing mm-hmm. with Barry, but. If you look at that last Tammy Terrell album, large parts of that were sung by Valerie Simpson. Mm. They weren't sung by Tammy Terrell because she had gotten too ill; she couldn't be in the studio. Mm. But they convinced Valerie denies it, <laughs> right? But they convinced but that's out of her legacy, I think. They convinced Marvin to do it because they said, "Look, this will give Tammy extra money. You mm-hmm. know, her family extra money." But around the time of what's going on, you know, Marvin just had a, you know, he had a he had a relationship with Barry. Barry was all up well, in Diana at that point. Right. You know, he was he had left. Detroit moved out to Hollywood because he was, you know, Diana's personal manager. He was going to make her a huge star. Marvin wanted to, I, I agree with you, he was angry at him. But more so, I think he wanted to impress Barry Gordy.
3: I think there's other things that need to be mentioned, too. I think we go back when we're speaking about this. Isaac mentioned the grapevine. That's where things started to change because that's when the Barry Gordy-Marvin-Gay fight initially started. Because the same way Barry didn't like what's going on, he did not like grapevine for Marvin. And Norman Whitfield comes into play here as far as bringing out the anger. Now, Norman Whitfield plays a key role in bringing out that anger because you make the Michael Jackson comparison. One, I don't think Michael was the poet that Marvin was, but also he didn't have somebody to bring out that anger in the way that Norman Whitfield was able to bring it out in Marvin. Whitfield pushed Marvin to that degree and forced to get that out of Quincy or Teddy Riley whoever Michael Jackson with Dark child, whoever he worked with they never were able to do that Norman Whitfield was that type of producer to able to push that out of Marvin so what happened with Grapevine is that when he did Grapevine for Marvin initially and Barry didn't want it to happen he had to go and turn and sell it to Gladys, to Gladys Knight and the Pips they did it it blew big a year 18 months later Marvin finally did it, and then it became the biggest selling record in Motown of the entire decade, of the 60s. And that was the first confrontation musically that Barry and Marvin had, and Marvin won that. So So,
0: Grapevine was originally intended for Marvin all along. Yes, originally intended for Marvin. He recorded it did first before Gladys Knight.
3: You should hear the original version of that and hear the second version. The anger comes through in the second version. Almost like Marvin had this, I told you, so I'm telling you, so listen to me, I know what I'm doing. That's when he got off the semi line. So we talk about the, the, the impact of what's going on. It starts with Grapevine. And that transition you know, from Grapevine goes to how what's going on even got done because of the Norman Whitfield, Marvin Gaye, and the success of Grapevine. And, and that carried out, I think, from what's going on and gave him the liberty to go on and do stuff himself. And you can hear some of that anger in his voice. He's always trying to prove to Barry Gordy You know, and others who may have been around. I don't think think Barry acted alone. I know Smokey Robinson Sr. always be on his side. But to others who questioned the things and the direction Marvin was going with his music, Mm -hmm. some of that was kind of like the F you to them. Like, look, I know what I'm doing. I'm not trying to be on the assembly line with you all. You all can do this Motown thing. I know what I'm doing. Let me do me. And, you know, once again, his thing, as he said, was about getting a message out. He wasn't about trying to make hits. It was about making a message, and you could hear that message in his voice. It wasn't always social commentary. It was the anger. Anger became his message also to get it out. Now, he could have been, we enjoyed it, but some of that stuff was directly connected and directly going at certain people, and that was the message also that he was trying to get
1: out. You know what? I I agree with, with on the professional side. That's what was going on, but also a key thing happened with those songs that led to what's going on. And then to let's get it on is that these were songs, you know, especially grapevine and especially chained where Marvin, even if someone else wrote those songs, it was directly related to his life. Mm -hmm. He, when he, when he sung grapevine, he was going through that, you know, Mm -hmm. with Anna, he was cheating on Anna. Anna was cheating on him. Mm -hmm. People were talking, you know what I'm saying? It was like, he was singing the song and he said, but he's, he said this in, in interviews. That was my life at the time. Mm -hmm. So, when he sung the song, he sung it from a real place. He didn't expect anybody else to connect with it like that, right. but they did. You but it's impossible it not to. When you hear him sing it, it's like you—you know—it's like a great actor. Yeah, or something. it is. It's like you just feel
0: it. So yeah, you're talking about Anna, Anna Gay, Anna Gay, right? He was, was Barry Gordy's good. sister, and they had
1: been married. I think obviously this was—they had been married maybe, maybe ten years, maybe less than ten. You know, less than mm-hmm. ten years at that point, point. and their marriage had you know deteriorated to the point where they were just uh, basically, in his words, figuring out new ways to hurt each other. Mm-hmm. So. Going through that war, and he's getting in the studio, and then Tammy's sick, and just he's having all these issues, and it's like he just let it all out. To me, that led to the courage, like you said, on a professional side, it gave him the sales, gave him the ability to say "F you, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do." Right. You know, I want to make this song, you know, this album, this concept album, what's going on, which was you know completely different than anything Motown did. Then, it but to go on to uh, "Let's Get It On," which well, he the, he the, went
4: to. Didn't he go to Trouble Man Yeah, Trouble
1: Man, Trouble Man. Trouble Man was his own project as well, which was Trouble Man and Hear My Dear, I think are the only two albums. He wrote all the material himself. Mm. But then, you know, just focusing on Let's Get It On for a second, it took him a while to get to that point. Because Marvin was not the type of cat who could just sit around all day and make music. No. He needed something to push him towards that mm-hmm. to get in the studio. Then he would stay in the studio forever. Forever. He wouldn't leave. But Let's Get It On, you know, Jam being the impetus of that, all of a sudden he had another reason to sing his life, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he became, I think, to, to your point, I think Grapevine and all those songs around the era were the jump off point to where this cat for the rest of his career sang about his life and that's the only thing he was sing about
3: right yeah. but he needed that he needed this he needed grapevine to blow in order to do that because if grapevine had failed or not done what it had done he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have had the liberty to do that.
1: And Grapevine gave him enough money where he stopped for a while performing because he hated mm-hmm. he hated to perform. I forgot who it was. One of his uh, people in his band said that you couldn't get him on the stage, but then but once when you, you got, got him, on, him on, on the stage, you couldn't, you couldn't get, him get, get him off. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he was deathly afraid of performing. So for a while, he just didn't perform. Mm-hmm. And Grapevine gave him the money to fill his pockets where he didn't have to perform.
4: Right. What's interesting as well is that with um, was let's get it on it was such a it's such a change from what's going on and Trouble Man everything about the Trouble Man song wouldn't have been out of place on what's going on Mm -hmm. but then you get let's get it on which is the difference was very very stark it was okay yeah you know mad political you've had a political epiphany and you know you finally got control Mm -hmm. and you want to you know you want to sing about the plight you want to express how difficult life can be for many many people who were hitherto unspoken for on record and then you take all of that and then you decide to make on the face of it a straight love slow jam album.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh baby, please turn yourself for love. Oh baby, so I can love you good. Oh baby, I'll make you feel so good. Just like you want me to.
1: Yeah, I think he had tried to do that political thing after what's going on came out, he released a single You're the Man. Yeah. And mm-hmm. That was supposed
4: to be an album, right? And that was yeah, it didn't. That was shelved.
1: Yeah, because the out the song, I think there's a part one, part two. They Uh, they didn't hit, and so it was kind of a blow to Marvin to feel like okay, I can't do this political thing anymore. And again, he was the type of artist who needed inspiration from something before he would you know start off on work. I think again, after what's going on, he became straight concept album. So let me ask you
3: a question real quick. And I think I'm trying to get my facts right. Let's Get It On was a Part of Let's Get It On Was recorded During the time He was recording What's Going On Right yeah, let's Cause it get stretched it on Like a four year period Let's when Get It, was it recording on The song that.
1: originally Was a political song it, right. was, it was around The lyrics Were around Let's Get It On Not sexually Let's Get It On Politically right. And organize And do something yeah, Right cause that was recorded It's crazy If you hear that version It's like wow yeah. It's really He almost ad-libs That
3: version Right Yeah.
1: But it's crazy But yeah
3: because it's split cities, too. Part of it was done in Detroit. Detroit. Part of it was done in L.A. Ed
1: Townsend was yeah. behind that. You know, the the composition that we hear, that we right, know, Ed Townsend was it. behind that. But the album, like John said, on the face of it, is straight love, soul jam. But that album is very introspective. That album is very, um, it deals with some of the same stuff you see him deal with on Here My Dear and yeah. on uh, uh, I Want You, where he starts to... Uh, get into the longing and the unrequited love yeah. and the the spiritual nature even on let's get it on when he starts talking about sanctified you know yeah. he's, mm-hmm. he gets into mm-hmm. the spiritual nature of sex where it's not just about straight you know uh doing it as some of the critics you know at that time were just like oh this is just about you know straight effing and blah 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 and it's like no nah, there's a whole lot more going on with that album at that at that time
4: on, on that basis there must have been a tremendous critical backlash at that time in not- terms of lyrics
3: not I don't know maybe from a critical standpoint, but not from a listening standpoint. And I think sure I, I may be old enough to remember. But the one thing I remember is my parents. Like I can't remember the time when they did when this album dropped. The second side not being played, <laughs>
1: you, you know what I'm saying? Passed. Because you get because you have four songs on the first side, right? Yeah,
3: but it, it's a collection of songs. Um, it's just, Let's
1: get it on.
3: No, no, no. That's the first side. The second. Oh, you are talking about the second the side? The second side is what did okay. it. that's that that's why I think the criticalness. I don't know what critics were saying because I was too young. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to every house mm-hmm. and hearing the second every my uncle Cliff's house, my mm-hmm. mom, my dad's house. At the house with mom. Second
1: side started with distant lover.
3: No, second side started with uh. Come get to this. Come get to this. Then distant this lover. Then you should, know you should how love the ball. the ball. You should love the ball. Just keep you the satisfied. Those three right there. Every house I went to. Just to keep you
4: satisfied. You can't forget that. Well,
3: mm-hmm. I, a lot of places where I went, Jahan, the needle would go mm-hmm. back. Really, after really. After that, because you should love the ball. Just that, those were the three like mm-hmm. cuts in. I don't want to say all black households, but every black house that I was at as a kid mm-hmm. during that time, that second side was just to keep you
1: satisfied is just such a you know the first time as an adult when I went back and listened to that album from start to finish just to keep you satisfied really comes out of nowhere where does this song you got you sure love the ball which is this sensuous sweet you know seductive then all of a sudden it's like that organ comes in and it's like, oh, what the it's hell just happened <laughs> it's like and he comes in with this falsetto that's just heartbreaking you know and just lays out this love affair that's like by the end of that song you just you're you're done, you're yeah. done
5: I stood all the jealousy all the tune yes I forget it all once in bed. how could we end up like this? Oh baby, let me reminisce.
4: what's disorientating about it is lyrically it's it's not just sonically such a change from you sure love to ball but but lyrically it's such a change because mm-hmm. it's like yeah yeah you know you like to do this i like to do this let's go do this and it's like okay, hang on, our marriage is over. <laughs> <laughs> Which hey, and then
1: consider that he co-wrote that song with uh, Gwen Gordy and Anna Gordy. Sheesh. Right, right. So, and I was telling Arthur that before the show. It, yeah, st- I wrote. I told Arthur before the show started. Those last two songs pretty much preface the next two albums. You know, if you look at mm. you sure love the ball. Well, that's I want you. Yeah, and then just it really keep is. satisfied. The whole thing, is the whole here my dear. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, from start to finish, man, and then... The, the emotional and the two songs that really don't get talked about a lot. Um, the second song on the album right after uh, Let's that Get It let's On, get on stay. Goes please to stay. Please stay. stay Once Even you, What's it? Please Stay Once You Go Away. Right. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like these right. concepts right. of Marvin Campbell was like, please stay even when you ain't here. When you're you night. know what let's go. Right, right, like, right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, and he but explores that, that idea throughout that song and it's, it's gut-wrenching.
3: But it goes know? through, like you said, how he was living out some of his personal life in his music. He would do the same thing with his women. He's like, look, I love you, but I want you to go out and do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get mad at you for doing what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. And then to go back to what you guys men- said, mentioned before, as far as his um, the process he he went through after, you know, Grapevine and then to what's get it on in this album. Let's get it on or what's going on in the let's get it on. He had to to get that, like Scoop said, to get that to a place where he felt like, look, I'm not going to do the Motown assembly line thing Man. anymore. Mm-hmm. Marvin experimented though. Instead of trying it on himself first, after a grapevine, he experimented with a group called uh, the Originals, mm-hmm. which was uh, I forgot who was in that group, but a lot of them saying some of them saying background mm-hmm. on just to keep you satisfied. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he had a couple hits with them, mm-hmm. you know, and so that gave him even more confidence to do what's going on. And, and it, what's going on was a uh, uh, the inspiration behind that came from a couple other musicians. But then when Marvin took it over, it became his thing. And the same thing happened with Let's Get It On, and it's like. You look at that process that he went through to go from this kid, because when he got with Motown, he was a kid. Yeah. You know, he was he was very, very young. You talking, I think, early, like sixty two, sixty three, maybe even before Man. that. And,
3: and Barry did it. I mean, Stevie was a baby. Michael was Stevie a baby. Was a kid. You know, he got him and he, early.
1: Yeah, he got him early. And it's like Marvin kind of, you know, fell in line with what they were doing, you know, and the assembly line thing and turning out hits every three to four months. Well, after uh, Grapevine, it was a year before What's Going On, and then after What's Going On is another year before Let's Get On, or almost it was two years. years. It was yeah, two, two year, years. To two years, yeah. And he just, you know, it, it was like, man, this cat is... And it opened the door a lot for Stevie Wonder. It opened the door for Stevie Wonder to do what he did later yeah, and yeah. creatively and as an artist. Because before that, nobody, nobody at Motown did anything like that. And so. if
3: you... I mean, we're probably going to get into this conversation later on, but... but the you look at the impact of the of the range of what he was doing, especially from what's going on to get it to um to, to let's get it on. You gave other people, especially over in Philly, with uh, Gamble and huff, like, look, we're going to do songs that kind of push the envelope socially, you know. And Marvin found a way to make that happen because he showed us that it can't be profitable, you know. Um, now of course there was nobody at any record label had an artist quite like Marvin. You know where you could actually build this around But just because you have that cat Doesn't make other people not take chances It's like we may not reach that level But right up under there You know it's like Pepsi's never gonna like reach Coke But we're good at number two Right so And, that's
1: and also do other from a uh, technology standpoint I know John will appreciate this the multi-tracking, the multi-tracking. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. became oh, huge yeah. at this point. And Marvin... He invented it almost. He invented it almost, but Marvin was perfect for vocals. it because this is a vocalist who could sing. He could pretty much do every part of the Temptation. He was he was he the was Temptations one, wrapped the one, up in one exactly. man. Exactly,
3: Smokey said that, I think. Right, so yeah. he
1: could sing all these different parts and then duet mm-hmm. with himself, basically.
3: Right, here's the thing. Listen to uh, uh, Let's Get It On and I think that the, the big opening of that song vocally shows you what he could do. Mm-hmm. The... Let's get the first thing after that goes to the the our baby. That's that. Mm -hmm. It's a scream. Then let's get it on. Let's love. It It goes from one high scream down to a softness, Mm -hmm. and this is in like with one bar. Right. You can't find artists to do that. Right. You know, and just make it seem natural. And to me, I've always listened like, when that album first comes on, mm-hmm. let's get it, you get that screaming, that grabs your attention. Mm-hmm. And it, like James Brown would scream like that, but then he'd stay screaming like that. Bobby Walmack would mm-hmm. scream like that and he stay screaming like that. Jackie Wilson would scream like that and stay screaming like that. None of them could go, not even Michael Jackson, go from that howling scream mm-hmm. to the very next verse. You're like, right. What is right. This? The very next yeah. second, but, but, but that goes to your thing about team. that's a one man temptation.
1: Right. And he it did, would take
3: different people to do that, but he did it at one time.
1: Right. He, for all his screaming, again to your point, it's like if you look at uh, "You Sure Love the Ball," the softness of that song and at the end of that song where he's singing you know uh let's you know we'll always be together we'll always it's like all this it's like dude how is he going from here to here and it's like it's crazy life. you know but it's he also learned at that time in his life how to go into the studio and kind of lay back because a lot of times he said our steward is his engineer would say he's saying a lot of these this music laying down on the couch mm-hmm. you know or by the time they got to do uh i want you and i think even maybe even let's get it on they figured out how to. he could sing from the council. So he'd be at the console working on the music. Right. Instead of going behind the glass, he would just sing the song right there. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is how relaxed he was you know, at that point in his career.
3: When I did that story on Marvin for XXL, I wrote a line in there that I still think one of the greatest moments in black music happens at Distant Love of the Live version. When he's talking right before that, but then when... Dun, 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 the minute the D... The syllable comes out of his mouth, the scream that you hear. Mm-hmm. I'm, it, it's amazing you can get that from an artist. You're right there. And that shows you the power of him understanding what he's doing. You know, he may ad lib and be laying down and like very doing stuff off the, cop, off the top of his head, but Marvin knew as his career played out musically, the power that he had. And in that distance, he, he knew. I'm going to play this out. I'm going to talk through this beginning of this song. I'm going to grab just me being Marvin Gaye. I have people so enthralled that the minute they know Distant Love will come up, just listen to that, and you're like, goodness gracious, this man knew. And if you listen to Distant Love on this album and you listen to the live version, you see the growth of an artist. You see how he knew how important, even though this wasn't like a big selling song or anything like that, this is one of those things that, you know, didn't make it on the white chart saying this was, this was a love song for black people, for his black audience, I can talk through this and I got them. He couldn't have done this at, at the time this came out. And I'm pretty sure he didn't predict this was going to happen to this one song because there were much bigger songs off this album. But if you listen to the live version of Distant Lover, to me, that scream that he knew that he built up to is probably one of the greatest moments in black music.
0: That alone probably makes him the greatest, particularly for his contemporaries. Oh yeah, because Smokey Robinson couldn't do that. No, nobody could do that.
1: I don't. I don't. I agree. I don't. But I don't just regulate them to you know. When we talk about greatest vocalists, I you know I've said it before. I think he's the greatest artist. You know, I think that that out, that, so arc, much, yeah. mm-hmm. that arc from what's going on to hear my dear to me establishes him as the greatest artist. You know, period.
3: I think a man Tony Giovinno said it best. He said Marvin Gaye may not be the greatest artist ever. It's just that second place is so far behind him. <laughs> <laughs> whoever's
4: like it's just so far behind could it be that let's get it on is in fact also tackles the concepts of revolution as much as what's going on does but whereas what's going on again this is from someone who wasn't alive and takes a lot of the social developments um, of that period for granted but could it be that what's going on was about a political or social revolution but let's get it on documented for that time the sexual revolution
3: or this time. I think more people, I think more artists, I think black music, speaking in the context of black music, I think more artists are chasing let's get it on than they're chasing what's going on. I think immediately after what's going on, you saw a, a social, a socially conscious movement to try to migrate art and views and opinions and protest, but then that kind of, you know, it kind of went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. But I think still to this day, you know, 40 years later, Black music is still trying to chase what he did on Let's Get It On. They're still trying to reach that 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 expression of sexuality. I think that's still being chased. So I think Jahan has a good point. You talk about the impact of one album. Quiet is kept. You know, we can say what's going on maybe the greatest album ever and all this, that, and the other. But I think from an impact standpoint, Let's Get It On may have more impact because still, like I said, 40 years later, people are still trying to chase and grab that. It's almost like that first hit of heroin. You always, or that first hit of meth, you're chasing it. And I think in black music, everybody's chasing that. I don't think anybody's reached it. I really don't think there's been one project that has reached the level of
4: sexual expression musically the way this album has. And I think everybody has tried to do it. So on the flip, would it be too far to say that let's get it on... Take some of the blame for the image of the black male in modern social media as an overtly sexual being uh,
1: you know i i see i see your point in that but i would say that again that's from people who are not really who are looking at or maybe even just heard the title song and really haven't looked mm-hmm. deeply into that album because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again yeah, I that agree. album I agree. that album is about so much more than just you know blatant sex and in the liner notes marvin talks about the fact that to him, you know, sex is sex is love is love. They're two separate things. He said if you can enjoy them both, that's great. Um, but they're two separate separate things. On that album, I think we see them being intertwined. And then again, as he always does, he dives into the despair of uh, you know, the loneliness and the you know, the the, the heartbreak and all these other things. So it's more than about than about sex, but I I see Scoop's point. You know, I think that artists have been chasing this album. I think that most artists not just now but maybe in the past just haven't understood the honesty it takes to achieve you know what i'm saying a a an album like that you know what i'm saying it was like this was and, and you know a lot of a lot of writers a lot of artists you know pull from their own experiences but like i said at this point marvin was almost incapable of you know not pulling from his own experiences and if his experiences didn't yield him the the artistic inspiration that he wanted he would create experiences that would yield him the artistic expression that he wanted so that level of honesty man when you hear you know uh please stay once you go away or if i should Mm -hmm. die tonight you know uh the lyric you know if i should die i won't truly die because i've known you you know it's Mm -hmm. like what you know that that lyric when he was discussing, I think, I, don't, I think that might have been Ed Townsend too. I'm not sure. But when he was discussing it, that lyric right there is what, you know, grafted Marvin to that song. Because he related to that, you know, with Jan. he said, you know, if he would die today, now that he's known Jan, he wouldn't truly die.
3: But isn't you know? that the nature of a true poet? And I, go, I keep going back to the poet, is that they, poets happen to be more honest than anybody. You know, they, you know they're, they're the ones that lay their souls out. You know, um, And I think you, you hit it on the head, Isaac, when you said people have been chasing it, but nobody's able to be that honest. They, they just haven't been able to be that. It's, to me, it's the same thing. That's what we'll talk about later in the show. But that's why one of his biggest comparisons I always make to him is Richard Pryor. The difference between Richard Pryor and every other comedian is nobody's been able to be that honest. I think one of the difference between Marvin Gaye and everybody else is that nobody's been able to be that honest.
1: To John's point, I think maybe the black male stereotype or archetype was created you know at some point and it seems to me like every male artist now is trying to fit within that archetype instead of being honest i think exactly. for a while i think r kelly in some of his his better material i think he kind of hit that point where he was able to express you know what i'm saying some vulnerability and some real and some truth and it yielded some of his best music right. but even him to a large degree fell into that whole you know i'm this i got all these women i'm doing it you know, and it's like that, that level of honesty is is, is gone and it's been gone for a while.
0: Well, Isaac, you've established well we all established that that Marvin's personal life informed his music and his lyricism. But you had said something just just now where you said that if he did not already have these experiences in his life, he created them. And that jumped out at me because it's like, well, he has so much drama already. What else did he need to create? You know, you know? what? That's, and that's one of the most when I
1: really started. Because, you know, I didn't really read about Marvin until maybe 10 years ago. You know, when I really because, you know, I was technically alive when Marvin was doing it. But I was an infant and a toddler when he was at his you know, his peak. So when I started really reading about him, that's one of the things that really just like knocked me off. Because I just assumed, oh, man, this dude had all this stuff going on in his life. When you read, you start to find out how much of that stuff was created by him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a lot of artists have these tragic things happen in their life and they pull from them. Well, Marvin had didn't have a happy childhood. You know, he had a he had a he had an unhappy childhood. Was Divided
3: Soul the first thing you started reading Did you start off there?
1: Uh I read some articles with Divided Soul. After I read Divided Soul, it was like everything else was like, uh this is like, you know. Right. Right, <laughs> right, like, right, right, Cuz right. Divided Soul was the book that was written You know, Marvin didn't write it, but he, you know, they wrote it together. They originally wrote it together with the intention that they would finish it together. Um, But that didn't happen. But yeah, Marvin was super involved, you know, with that book. So
3: I always thought the title of the book should be Tortured Soul.
1: I like Divided. I like Divided because the torture that's and that's the point I'm trying to make is that. Dude would Create situations I His know. His family said His sister said Like Marvin had been like that His entire life To the point where it's like If he was a bus driver If he never became a singer mm. If he was a bus driver He would have been the same way He would have created I, I
3: read Jan Talk about he was Always unhappy
1: He pushed that, Jan to cheat on him He, he made that, that, her cheat on him But yeah but, but, And we, that's what I'm saying he
3: would, he would But he would get mad at her When she came back That's right. what I'm saying He was
1: he fed. It, it was some. It was some. You know, some masochist type stuff going on. He fed off of that. Um, his one of his fantasies was. He said one of his fantasies was to uh, know that another man was pleasing his woman. Yeah. You know, that was one of his fantasies, and he just. You know. I think his artistic. You know, he was hypersensitive, which you know most artists are. He was hypersensitive, but he also was aware of the fact. I think from a young age that that type of drama. And that type of, of pain yielded um, expression from him. But isn't that torture? Yeah, it's torture. But That's his his soul was. But his soul, the divided. I think also comes from his you know his viewpoints on life. He was you know he wanted the sanctified. Uh, he wanted to be a preacher, basically. He wanted mm-hmm. to live, and he did live for a while. He lived in a a bread bread truck or something like that on the beach for you know for a while, just with no possessions um he wanted to live almost like a monk mm-hmm. but the other side of him wanted this excessive um life filled with women filled with uh cocaine you know filled with all these things that uh it created a, a battle you know what I'm saying a constant battle which on the cover of uh uh was it was in our lifetime or what was the album I forgot the album's name but where he's playing chess with himself and he's yeah. the angel and he's the devil mm-hmm. That same, that you know portrayed that that long-term battle so to answer your question, Arthur, yeah, I think pain, you know, was a definite for I mean, and to be honest, it's, it's like that with most artists. But I also think that for Marvin, without that pain, you know, he couldn't, he just, he couldn't create even his, even some of his more, his happier songs. You know, if you go back to, uh, again, go back to the Grapevine era and the Whitfield era, when he kind of, I think he really started to be comfortable with this, you know, this ex- this type of expression. Listen to yesterday, the mm-hmm. cover of the Beatles song, mm-hmm. which he...
3: Which he does better than the Beatles. She he did, he slayed. It like, he does the better he, than, re, than the Beatles. basically
1: repossessed the song from the Beatles. It was like, when you hear that, that you never want to be, hear their version. That
3: seems to be an easy thing to do,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> next show, next
5: show. <laughs> oh, my troubles seem so far away. Now I need... I believe in yesterday Suddenly People I ain't half the man I used to be No There's a heavy Heavy shadow Over me Yesterday Came all too suddenly
1: but um, if you listen to that verse, it's it's like oh my man, it's heartbreaking from the first moment to that song. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like wow, who can sing like this? You know? So I think that pain was a definite part. But you know, yeah, he, he would he would create it himself. If it didn't exist, he would create the drama to make it exist in order to satisfy that. I don't want to say twisted, but whatever. He 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 torture, but he he said it was twisted. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he he himself said it was twisted. Um, and he blamed himself for like when he met Jan, he met this perfect angel in his eyes, you know, this little girl, literally, she was 16. And <laughs> maybe you say he added a couple years on there, but so he met this, this, this girl who was, to, in his eyes, you know, the uh, perfection. And, and he was happy for a while, but then over a period of time, he basically just, you know, jacked that up.
3: Man. yeah but she was I've always looked at it, that's a whole another conversation we we're gonna have but I think that was his that was his release and his freedom we, we spoke about it before we even came on air about there was a 17 year difference between he and Jan at the time but there was also a 17 year difference between he and Anna so he needed and she was inside of the family he couldn't break loose of that Gordy family he was locked in so Jan represented freedom to him something he could control because she was so young and something that had nothing to do with this Gordy family so of course she was an angel
1: I th- and you know it's interesting if you look at his w- the work that came out of that yielded from his uh, his experiences with Jan, which I think the epitome is "I Want You." Mm. Um, and there's lyrics on those. I think that's that album mainly. Although I, I've said it before on the show, is the most sensual album to me. Mainly that album is the album of yearning. You know, he's yearning for her. You know, he can even though he has her, he still don't have her. Right. You know, because she's right. she's perfection in right. his eyes. So right. it's like he can never truly possess her. But then when you here uh uh all the way around and it's like he's talking about how she's promiscuous and he says you know even though she's promiscuous he still loves her and he can't get enough of it and she's you know going around with these other dudes i think it was at that time she had uh she went off with teddy pendergrass at that time um so that that's one side of his work but to me nobody stoked his his uh paying that part of his persona better than anna because here my dear to me is like you talk about an album full of pain and just the exploration of uh, what it means to end a relationship and everything that went on. Never before, and never since has there been music like that before. And to me, that's like, wow, how did you, you know, to I'm almost like I, I, I hate that he had to put himself through that to get that. But then it's like, wow, when you hear it, you like, damn, how could that's he have gotten there any other way? Right. And then right after that, during that same time period is when he recorded Vulnerable mm. um, an album, he had been trying to record for like you know 15 years mm-hmm. and could never do. Because he hadn't
0: experienced anything yet mm-hmm. to that degree. But look, about honesty and about, and about, about pain, I'm going to make a statement since you brought up vulnerable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you tell me, it's really a theory that I have. And you tell me if I'm correct. Scoop, Jahan, any one of you. Throughout his career, with the exception of the Vulnerable album, which is an album full of standards, uh, many out of the American, what's, what's regarded as the American songbook, Marvin never did music that he really wanted to do. It was music that was an effect from a cause. In in his classic Motown era, these were were songs that were given to him, that were assigned to him, that were quote unquote good for Marvin to do. There it Mm. is. In the 70s, fueled by the loss of Tammy Terrell, fueled by his, his need to break away from that machine, he does what's going on and, and in effect opens up a, a, you know, a gateway of creativity throughout the 70s in black music. Mm-hmm. Let's Get It On was the combination of his disintegrating marriage and his budding new relationship with this angel, as we call Jan Hunter, as we define Jan Hunter. And on and on and on and on and on, even through Midnight Love. I remember reading about his early tours. When he had Stubborn Kind of Fellow and That's the Way Love Is, you know, and he would open his show with these standards, these American songbook standards, and the audience would be like, what? what? We didn't come to hear that. We came to hear mm-hmm. Stubborn Kind of Fellow. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half of his show, he would do all of these songs in one big medley, mm-hmm. Goodnight and Lead. Because he wanted to be Frank Sinatra right, right at the beginning yeah. of his career. And, that right. King Cole. and yeah. that's my point. And, that and that that's King King Cole. my point. Right. Yeah. Throughout his career, with the notable exception of Vulnerable, which was released posthumously,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Marvin Gaye never really did music that he wanted to do. I See, would I would
1: agree with you. Except, except for, for what's for going on. what's going yep, on. I'd agree. And I was, thing I with, yep, I'd yep. I would say I would almost throw Hear My Dear in there, but by the time Hear My Dear had happened, he had already shaped so much of music at that point that Hear My Dear, even though it was rejected and was not a success. Right. Uh, it's I don't still, think he wanted to do that. I think still he was forced of, to do that. Well, he was he he was forced to do an album, right? Because but he not, wanted because right. that was part of the the uh, divorce settlement with right. him. Yeah, I remember that. But right. not they didn't expect that album. They wanted some hits, right? <laughs> right, right, right. That. But I would say what's I'll, I'll, okay. I'll just stick with what's going on because I was you on that. If you listen, it's 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 hard to you know you know forty some years later to go back and look at the context. But when what's going on dropped, this was completely different than anything. You know what I'm saying, especially in black music mm-hmm. but completely different than anything else around and so this music and if you read uh ben Edmonds' book the what's going on book that's an entire novel or oh sh-
3: shout shout out to mojo magazine over there uh, across the UK, pond right in the uk because they right. did and uh robert wyatt wrote that 40 page i thought ben edmonds wrote that i thought i thought it was robert Wyatt. i think I that's, where, that's why he wrote the
2: book
1: Okay. Yeah, because you hit me to the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a long ass article. It was forty pages.
3: Forty pages, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: From that, he did he did a book that's strictly about the making of what's going on. It's like the struggle that he went because we always talk about the struggle after that album was made. The struggle that he went through to make that album, to get everybody around him to understand what he was doing, because it was like he's in the studio talking nonsense basically. Everybody's like, "What do you, what do you mean you want to find a sound between that sound and this?" It's like. It was some genius stuff that was everybody else's head. Okay. And then he had, you know, uh, cats, you know, uh, session cats coming off from uh, uh, horn players. I forgot the uh, the cat's name who did oh, yeah, the long yeah. horn solo. Uh,
3: um, Wilton, he, had, he had Wilton Felton on there. He had, I think, Joe Sample was on there. And
1: I think the guy, the cat, the Night Watchman or whatever, helped him write the lyrics to yeah. Inner City Blues. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, it's right, like, right, right, right. this is where he was coming from at this time. So it was like, to me, I, I, I see what you're saying, Arthur, but I think what's going on was completely... Him. him you know and, what I'm saying
3: and if you look at it, I think that is the only album that he didn't have a co-producer on he well did. he
1: he had to begin with he had I mean because again Marvin always got instigated by somebody else but yeah as the process went as on, the process it was, it was all him it
3: was all but if you look at because uh Townsend came in on let's get it on and it was the whole Motown crew before what's going on but credited what's going on is the only like this is marvin this is as close as you're going to get to marvin with you know nobody really really having the most much. honest album
1: his his arranger at the most time david, david david I,
3: uh, no John. i think his most honest was him my dear
1: his his arranger at the time Dave, i want to say david van pelt or david van pitt i can't remember his name but he was the closest thing on what's going on. It's a collaborator who could kind of interpret these things, these wild concepts that Marvin was talking about. Because also, again, we're kind of used to it now, but think about in 1971, an album where each song bleeds into the next one and basically you have to listen to the whole album you yeah, know what I'm saying you, you don't want to just come mm-hmm. in on one you song can't. you got to listen to this whole album because each song feeds into the next
0: one and follows that that same thread that
3: same thread man It
0: was, that same it sonic was thread that same like, sonic, there sonic there thread goes, anthematic so and refrain, literary refrain. literary yeah. thread
3: that to me and it goes to what I that's the closest we're going to get to answering your question of what it's like if you wanted just Marvin Gaye like what what type of artist did Marvin Gaye want to be not not forced to do something, not under pressure to do. What would he have looked at as a standalone? If he only did one album, what we get out of him, that would be it.
1: And also, uh, pain and pleasure. You know, we're talking about pain. Yeah. We always talk about Marvin's romantic pain. The instigate or the inst- the inspiration for what's going on was pain as well. Yeah. He was Marvin was very anti America at this point. You know, which was also different than a lot of artists at the time because a lot of black artists were still very patriotic and this and that because marvin was in the
0: middle of the of the throes of the vietnam war
1: after this was it was it was, it was in the middle it was it was waning a little bit it was, but it was still you know it was still in the, it was still going on and marvin was very angry at his country
3: um, and, but how many people had like their younger brother
1: Come home Come home and, and right there And was telling them the story And then several of the songs On what's going on Were told through uh, Frankie Gay's You know Point of view um, As if he was a character In the novel But yeah uh-huh. Marvin was in pain At that time and, and again The Tammy thing He couldn't sing about love You know He couldn't sing These types uh-huh. of songs So the pain, that whole idea of drawing from his pain for inspiration, that's just not applicable to love songs to me. What's going on is an example of how it's applicable to his social, you know, uh, his social
0: ideology as well. Let me add a what if. What if What's Going On failed? Mm. Uh, would we be
1: having these conversations?
3: Yeah, the impact of this album would have changed a lot of things. I think in 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 black music and just black life you know sometimes music and other forms of art gives society a chance to feel comfortable in expressing their internal feelings you know so uh the the whole backlash of the vietnam war the whole anti-american vibe that what's going on sent out uh if, if if it didn't hit big then you're looking at the the um the shortness of a black power movement. Mm. You know, you're looking at the, uh, the, the pullback of uh, some type of social black consciousness and just regular people where they don't feel comfortable enough because they don't have a soundtrack.
0: And what's going on, and what's going to do on, providing that
3: soundtrack, you know, for them to move forward with. Uh, musically, you, you don't have a Papa was a Rolling Stone. That song by the Temptations is never, ever done, which came out a year later. It's not done. You know, and, and you look at what, because as, as big as what you call it was, as big as what's going on as AdWords, still one of the biggest black political songs that had something to do outside of just love was when Norman Whitfield was able to write Rolling Stone and give it to the Temptations. That's, that's, to this day, that song is the centerpiece of a lot of the music that has been done since then. And if Whitfield does not have fine success with. Working with Marvin on what's going on, he never has the courage or the cojones to even do. Papa was a Rolling Stone, you know, and, and so you look at you're looking at so many different things that I think come from the success of this one album. But it goes back to what we were saying earlier: if Grapevine doesn't hit, then what's going on never gets done. You know, it's the the ripple effect is a, right. a, a, amazing.
0: But what's going on is the is the gateway for talking book.
3: But, but, Exactly, and also it goes back to another point. To me, if, if what's going on doesn't hit, it changes the way Richard Pryor approaches comedy. I'm always a believer, because I make that comparison, that Marvin Gaye was the one that gave Richard Pryor the courage to be as honest as he was.
0: She did that voice, made me stop snorting cocaine. Too. She pulled that shit on me. She said,
5: "What's that you doing, boy?" I
0: said, "Cocaine, mama." whoa,
5: well, Jesus, happy go kill my God, go kill me, go kill my God. Go kill my God. Go kill
1: I said, Mama, don't do that shit. Look, I'm slowing it up. Look, Mama, I'm putting it down in the toilet. $1,600 worth of shit.
0: She found out how much it cost. She got mad. (laughs) You dumb motherfucker. You could have sold some of that shit back to the man you got it from.
3: So, you know, if, if, if what's going on doesn't become a hit, Richard Pryor, I think, starts thinking twice about how honest he is in his material. And you look at you put that into effect of a of a socially conscious movement that happened among black folks in the 70s, the whole black power movement. You put into effect Richard Pryor's comedy. You know, you put into effect the 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 individual musical stance that Papa was a Rolling Stone had, you know, post that you add all three of those together and you get a glimpse of what wouldn't have happened if what's going on didn't hit big at all. From my perspective.
0: But let's look at this ripple effect though. If what's going on doesn't come out and become successful does sly do there's a ride going on does 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 george michael do faith
4: well maybe absolutely they do because y- you know there's without what's going on there's a vacuum for exactly what you're talking about I think when you've got a set of circumstances, particularly a set of very real socioeconomic circumstances that affect people negatively in, in quite a dramatic way, you're going to have a certain, a substantial segment of the population that depend on art for escapism, and they just want to hear happy stuff, they just want to see, you know action movies or women in bikinis or whatever it is that takes them away from the 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 drama of their life but you'll also have a substantial segment of the population where they want a voice to the pain that they're suffering where they want someone to articulate and publicize the drama that they're experiencing so there would definitely have been such a sort of a, a frustration boiling to fever pitch Whereby someone would have felt the need to to get out what what Marvin did instead, someone would feel the need to express and uh, you know maybe it would have been a brand new artist. It's it's very of course nah. hard to say, but yeah, but it would have you know, been Curtis Mayfield. Okay, there you go. There yeah, you go. I thought I, th- I mean listening to you talk, it would have been Curtis Mayfield, or, or or maybe or maybe maybe where I'm coming from would have been a much more political album, mm-hmm. Stevie's Stevie's first you know total or, control album, or, or 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 let's go this way. If you really look at that,
3: the, the direct from a just from an artist standpoint, just dealing with Marvin, if it didn't hit, how much better or different would Trouble Man have been? Because if you're looking at the climate,
1: I don't think he would have done Trouble Man.
4: Okay, there you go. But also, what's interesting is that we talked earlier in the show about "Let's Get It On," and I, you know, I completely agree with Scoop in the way that that then became almost a blueprint for much of Black R&B or Soul thereafter. That it's interesting that what's going on didn't have the same widespread effect. It's interesting that. Album after album, act after act, artist after artist, movement after movement, people didn't jump on that to try to replicate it.
1: I don't know because I, I think that he doesn't do trouble man because trouble man was his own creation, you know, from start to you know that was. But does he? he I,
3: I'm I mean But don't you think the climate kind of for because. Shaft was done by Isaac and you know uh, uh 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 what you call it Curtis was doing Superfly and doing you know all these now, other and a lot of black artists, Willie Hutch was doing brother gonna work out of James Brown did a uh, Black Season all the black artists were doing the thing because it was the black art exploitation I don't I can't see Marvin not wanting to get into that I, I think, just think it been better. Have, I
1: think Marvin may I think Marvin may have done a song but what the the conception of Trouble Man the fact that he did that album by himself. He got the confidence to do that because what's going on? It worked. So he did. He sat down okay, again and, and okay. did this whole went through you know this process what? of creating this album. I think what may have happened is he might have wanted to do what Diana Ross was doing and get into acting, which he did want to do. It never worked out for him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to get into acting. I think if what's going on doesn't hit, he may his confidence gets shattered and he may say, okay, I'm gonna do what Barry and them want me to do put out some more love hits and go try to do the Hollywood thing and maybe he does a song on Trouble Man and actually tries to get in the movie. I don't know. I just you know, looking at him in that at that point in his life when he was incapable of singing love songs. And this is a cat who really, if he can't do something, you can't make him do it. You know what I'm saying? He can't he can't fake it. So it's like after uh, even with Tammy Terrell he said the reason why those songs sounded so great was because when they were in the studio, not outside, but when they were in the studio, they were in love with each other. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They they played the role. They fell in love in the studio. Mm. That's why those song, outside of that, he can't fake it. So I don't see, if what's going on doesn't hit, I don't see him being able to go back to doing the stuff okay. that he Good was point. doing before. Okay. So we might have just seen him fade away. Mm. And as we're talking about this, I guess, and it's crazy, my appreciation and, and like awe of Marvin is growing as we continue to talk about this because it takes a lot, you know, to do both. You know, from a sonic standpoint and from a thematic standpoint. Um, I think the scope—it's—it's it's like, yeah, it's—it's it's like writing, you know, not only just writing a novel but writing an epic. You know, what I'm saying writing the Iliad or something. It's like, yo, to carry that through two thousand pages, you know, is is crazy. And I think that a lot of these artists, again, you know, they dabbled in it and they went here for a second, um, but to stay there throughout the whole process. To do it even on the album cover, the artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, here's Marvin, he grew a beard, you know, because he was rebelling against his clean cut look. Mm-hmm. Um, he's walking in the backyard of his house, it's raining, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this doesn't look like Motown. Mm-hmm. He then he puts the the credits, he he credits everybody except for Barry Gordy. He credits everybody on the album, on the liner notes on the sleeve, which nobody in Motown did. Mm-hmm. They never mentioned who played, you know, the guitar, you know, they just they didn't do that. Um, it was completely against everything, and again, it was done at the apex of his career, which is like at that point mm-hmm. you know at that point as a as a thirty year old man who had all these strings of love hits mm-hmm. why do this, and the fact that it worked is that it worked as a miracle, so mm-hmm. to end the what if I'm like it just it's that's it's amazing that it didn't that it didn't fail. Can anybody think of an example of of an artist who you know went completely left field from what they had done previously? that you know in the same vein that marvin did i think marvin's is the greatest example you know what's going on if you compare that to what he was doing before i can't think of another artist who's gone that left field both sonically uh. and thematically
4: michelle and de gocello plantation lullabies Peace beyond passion bitter that's a good one bam in terms of sound and in terms of lyricism Bit is the first album where she's not political. It's the first album where she's not talking about socio economic issues. It's the first album where she's not talking about justice. This is talking about the end of a love affair.
1: hmm I'm a you know, I'm gonna roll yeah. with you on that. I'm gonna have to go back and listen, but I trust you enough, I'm gonna roll with you Arthur, on that. Arthur, I'm
4: right, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. You're right.
1: Was it was you know, the it was it completely it, left it's, field it's, for it's her? A,
0: yeah, it was. When you Lisa on that album and yeah. And she's never done. She's never done an album like that since. The only reason it doesn't resonate is because Michelle only has two albums before, and even in those two albums, she's not Marvin Gaye. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. You're right.
3: I got it. What is it? Eight oh eight Heartbeats by Kanye.
4: Nah. Nah. I I don't. You saw that coming. I I mean, I I saw something
3: weird. You
1: saw that coming. I didn't see it coming. (laughs) I didn't see it it coming. He did
3: something like that before. I don't.
1: But were those? was that music as drastically as different from... It was different, that's but was as looking. drastically as different?
0: I mean, the only reason I, is because to I me... I think so. I think so. But see, to me, that's just a really good, no good T-Pain album. <laughs> oh. I get it. But what I'm saying, Damn. looking from the artist and or what he really, had done before that, really you look at all of the
3: Kanye's work before that, all the stuff he had done with Jay-Z, all the, you know, Scott, yeah, all yeah, that stuff I, he did. I hear you. Anyway, Harveys comes out of
0: nowhere. You're right. This kid is singing. You're right. What I about... what
3: on some now, it's affected. Now, nah, that album has had more impact on radio than anything that's been done since then. But just I from you. that artist,
2: 808. Okay, but I but think no, the
4: difference... But, but Scoop, I think the difference between Graduation and... 808. 808. Is slimmer than the difference between... It's a, a good... I, 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 I
1: agree. Bitter. It's a good... That's, that's a good one, though. That's a good one.
0: What
4: about this new Daft Punk album?
1: Look still at the time, I got it. Yeah, the, time the
4: time period Between of like, those two me, releases To me that's like a tribute Brand, brand new Heavy's album
1: it's, it's a dope yes. album It's one of the best albums Dropped this year I just, in my I mean, to me, it's it's almost,
0: got it
4: I still haven't listened to it yet It's almost a constant. No, no
0: don't listen to, to do it wait, wait 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 Isaac said it's the best yet gonna, And you said you, don't listen to do it
1: Now <laughs> who are you gonna roll with Who you gonna roll with
0: It's just
4: I don't even have to respond It's so bland and diluted
1: I don't even have to respond I don't even have to respond to that
0: I'm going to say it. Don't do not get mad. <laughs> Parade. If kiss was not on that album. <laughs> oh, God, you would just
1: dude, the kiss madness on Twitter had kind of died down. Now, now you about to just spark the, the embers
4: again. You know, but am but, I'm but, I wrong? But
3: I, but am see, I wrong? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. John, what you got?
4: We be clubbing Ice Cube
3: ah, You know what I was about to You win. I was about to go there You win I was about to go there But I was I was I was about to say I couldn't think about One particular album How about album. everything I was Ice Cube
2: is done Right That's what I was about to say I was about to go there
1: His whole entire life And career has been like Left field Of everything he did before Yeah That's that's a good one We be clubbing That's a good one Alright let's go around the table Round table Round
0: table Uh oh. Tell me what it is again. <laughs> <laughs> it's what your, are it's your the desert three, island three Marvin Gaye right,
4: songs? Right.
1: What are the three Marvin Gaye songs you would keep if you could only have three for the rest of
3: your life?
4: That's it. <laughs> Jesus. Who's first?
0: <laughs> is it yeah, on me?
3: Yeah. Uh, three songs. If if I could only hold, um, you know, if I only had three for the rest of my life to listen to, um, heard it through the grapevine, uh, got to give it up, and uh, pieces of clay.
5: Father, stop criticizing, criticizing your son. Mother, please, leave your daughters alone. Don't you see that's what's wrong? somebody to be
3: their own piece of clay Mm. why? yeah Trouble Man was kind of teetering on that but um, uh, pieces of clay that's one of the things I love about Marvin's music is that there's stuff that's been unreleased that that hits you years later and you're like oh my god you know um, I felt that way about the whole Vulnerable album you know, uh, music, when Eric Sermon got his hands on that and released, he's like, where did that come from? Right. You know, we hadn't heard it before. And Pieces of Clay is the other song. I thought, it's, 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 it's just an amazing, amazing song. And I didn't hear it until they put out their four CD box set, The Master, and it was on And I was like, where did this come from? Um, but definitely those, because I think those embody everything I think Marvin was about in his career. The only reason I can't put anything off of um, uh, what's going on on there is because it's impossible for me to separate those songs. Mm, mm. I can't pull Good one. Point. Yeah, I Good can't. Point. Now, you give me that whole album that's different, but I can't separate. Those songs, that album is so tight.
1: They belong together.
3: They Everything Everything bleeds into one another, so I couldn't pull one song off of there to do it, but those are my three.
1: You know, shout out to uh, to Deadry Jones real quick in uh, Chicago because it was you and Deidre who put me on a vulnerable because I didn't yeah. even know it existed because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think it was released in 1997. Know what, okay, so it was like maybe three or four years later that y'all hit me to it, mm-hmm. and I remember I saw Deirdre had the deluxe version, yep. which he would not give me. No, he <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even buy it from, him. so I had to wait. But I finally got my deluxe version. But yeah, shout. Out. And then shout out to Motown for if you if you don't own the box sets to the deluxe versions of What's Going On, Let's Get On, and especially I want you go get them because yeah. these. Motown did an excellent job of releasing, especially I Want You. There is so much to your point about finding gems and finding Mark. Oh, Although it was hard to get Dude in the studio, he recorded a lot of material.
3: Man, the the stuff on on What's Going On, the second CD where he did with Hamilton Bohan and and the band, is crazy. You're like, what is this? Unbelievable. The Detroit instrumental sessions, you're like, what is this?
1: Unbelievable. And And, it's all about funk. And it's on Spotify, Arthur. It's all on Spotify.
4: (laughs) Can I just say shout out to Motown and then forget Motown (laughs) for... That's it. (laughs) For releasing a deluxe album of What's Going On and then ten years later, releasing a super deluxe <laughs> right. version. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. i What's going on? I mean,
1: come on.
3: <laughs> hey, dude, wait, wait, wait till the fifty year of what's going <laughs> right. on comes around.
1: Right. Jeez. It'll be like a car. <laughs> like a what's <laughs> going on? Car. What's going on, car?
4: Right. <laughs> I just, it just really frustrates me that they market this stuff as the complete, knowing mm. full well it isn't. Yeah. Then they'll be like, yeah, we found
1: something. We, we was in the closet the other day. No, right. no, it's mis- they know it's what like, they're doing. You've never been in that closet before.
3: <laughs>
4: Jahan, you're next, I guess. Going from three to number one, I'll say, sorry, Isaac, the shadow of your smile is my number three. Love it. I'll say this, actually, Isaac, props to you, man, because I didn't fully appreciate its beauty until you mentioned it in a previous episode. Hold and on, I hipped Jahan to something? I hipped you to something? Yeah, you did, you did, mm. you did. Love it. I mean, I hadn't got around to listening to it. I would have eventually, of course. But, <laughs> <you> that? <laughs> but um... But no, it, it, it blew my mind And it's just the way it initially begins With this kind of You've got the sort of pizzicato of the strings And then you've got the swell of the strings And and it's when, when he sings It's the shadow of your smile Gorgeous, mm. absolutely mm. gorgeous
5: The shadow of your Of your smile When you Are gone We'll color all my dreams and light the door, look into my. Baby, oh, the wonderful things you are uh,
4: My number two pick, sorry Isaac, is just to keep you satisfied. Um, I'm saying sorry because I'm assuming you're going to pick these tracks. <laughs> but, and I'm talking about the version that's actually on the album, not the monitors version, not mm-hmm. the originals version, mm-hmm. but the actual album version. And I love the dissonance between You Show Love to Ball and that. I love the kind of shock to the nice. system that the mm-hmm. track is. So, so, so beautiful. And the background vocals by the originals, just that, ooh, baby, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh baby. Oh, God. Just so, it's, it's almost like percussion. To me
5: and when we oo the hands of time. You set my soul on fire. My one desire was to love you.
4: Um and that to me is probably amongst the rawest, maybe the most raw song I can I can think of. Um, there is one very very annoying forget Motown point about that song which is on the deluxe version if you listen to that song all the way through they include the count off for the next song Mm. and it's completely it's it's completely damaging and disruptive so much so that I had to edit it in Logic myself (laughs) um it's very 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 frustrating. There's a
1: lot of that on that deluxe version. A lot of those oh, countdowns.
4: Very I mean whoever indexed that is just, <laughs> you know, fire him now. He did about. It job. might have been Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> um and then my number one pick is the live version of Holy Holy on the um on the live concert version of What's Going On, which is also on the original deluxe version. So that was recorded, I think that was recorded at the Kennedy Center concert hall in Washington DC um I think it was May the 1st 1972 and it was two years it was his first concert appearance two years after the passing and illness of Tammy Terrell mm-hmm. and he, he kind of came out and uh, just did that whole show and it's it's effective you know he got out he got out what the audience wanted to hear quickly so he opens with the Motown medley and he's like right here you go take it shut mm-hmm. up for the rest of the show <laughs> and then and then he basically performed the whole concert sequentially almost sequentially and the version I mean Holy Holy is a beautiful song but it, it's beauty just cannot be captured in the recorded session I mean just listen to the concert version and it's something else entirely it's the way that you know it begins with this you, you just hear the you know the, the bass and the guitar just that interplay mm-hmm. and What's incredible about it, you know, you have the bass, you've got the guitar and that interplay, you've got his vocals, of course, you've got the whole, you know, orchestra playing, which is, you know, it's mind-blowing for a live show. And you've got the brass section and the swell of the brass, just that, just that swell, the way it kind of just climbs up and it just fills you up, it's incredible. But really, the unsung instrumentalist on that live show, and this is something that you just can't, you know, he he doesn't deserve, maybe he does deserve the credit for this, I don't know, but you can't plan this, it's the audience reaction and it's almost like when you listen to that version the audience is an instrumentalist Um, and it's the screams that are just timed in that they're just timed in tandem with that orchestral and brass swell and it's it just goes to show the power that music has on the human body
5: Together and holy.
4: react and scream at certain parts which aren't necessarily timed with his voice I think it's just it makes me very happy that documented examples of, of that theory exist like that so yeah holy Holy's my number one
0: it's so awesome okay I'll go uh, Marvin Gaye's rendition of the Star Spangled Banner from the, I believe it was the 1983 NBA All Star Game at the Forum in LA. I'll put that yeah. up against any versions yes, of the Star Spangled Banner ever, ever before. To me, to
3: me, that's that that's <laughs> been a, that that would have been a great buddy because you know Luther Vandross Is supposed to sing that Marvin uh, asked Marvin asked Luther Vantos to sing that song because Marvin really? didn't want to do it, mm-hmm. and Luther Kidding. told him no, no. True story. And
1: and Marvin and I think it was T so Boy Ross, Diana Ross's brother, like. Put that together like hours before the concert, you yeah, know, hours did, before the performance yes. at a little apartment. Yes. I think it was T Boy Ross's they apartment. Found a, little, you know, half-ass they, equipment. They and found put a that sexual chill,
3: healing type track. And, but That's, what if Luther had sung that instead of Marvin?
1: Wow, wouldn't have been as good. Oh no,
0: wouldn't. No, it be, wouldn't it have wouldn't even close. Been I mean, nothing against that, but props <laughs> to Luther Vandross turn it just down. That was perfect. I mean, it was in L. A. Mm-hmm. And he'd won the Grammy. He which just is, won the Grammy. Which
3: is a whole nother story.
1: Didn't win any Grammys for What's Going On, by the way.
3: He never won a Grammy for anything yeah, outside of a, sexual healing.
1: Wasn't Lou Rawls won that year. That's what, And they had beef. But,
4: but <laughs> he won the Grammy for sexual healing, but he didn't really win the Grammy for sexual healing, right? They gave him... It's how like it's like Denzel Washington winning the uh, Oscar for, for training. training, training day.
0: though. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well,
4: I think Denzel acted his ass off in of training. I mean,
3: he did, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you the, know what I'm it's still. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff before, but he, you know...
0: You but I mean, that, he you, wins the Grammy said, for Training Day, but not Hurricane. You said he portrays like, three stages of this man's life. I get it, but you know, <laughs> and he loses to Kevin Spacey's portrayal of a pedophile, and I like Kevin Spacey. Right, 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 right. I but get he that. was a pedophile in that
1: movie, right? Hold up, though, no, no. You, hold up though you said that like I, I think Denzel but,
0: but if you
3: look at but, but it's still going to be mentioned as far as one of Denzel's greatest performances right. I don't think sexual healing is going to be on anybody's three list but you know the Oscars <laughs> that's okay, my point okay. Is like enough. look that's Fair my enough. point Is
2: like it's
1: yeah. not that's so far Fair away
3: from yeah. Marvin's greatest work No, no. Yeah, I'm saying wins. Denzel he right. still right. acted as
1: behind but the Oscars yeah, have a history of doing that y'all just jump on me
3: y'all don't
2: even y'all context of it was funny the way you
1: said it because you did like Arthur do like to the side like you're the only person in the room and Nobody can hear you. He's like I think Denzel acted. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to back to yeah, I actually Spangled do Band. have
0: three more guest songs.
1: <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> great pick, great number one pick though.
0: Appreciate that.
1: Great number one pick. Okay, so um, wait,
3: that wasn't a pick. He just said shout out. That wasn't a pick. Yeah, oh, was that a that
1: pick? All oh, he said, oh, shout that out. Was, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> oh, you, you missed right. it. He said, he said, real that was smooth, his... real smooth. <laughs> real smooth
4: that was his one point five.
0: Um. When did you stop loving me? When did I stop loving you? From here, my dear. Yeah, um, that's one of his most honest songs. Um, I'm with Scoop on on what's going on. It's like you cannot you cannot piece that album. No, you can't. Um, my number two, no particular order by the way. My number two, T plays it cool. Trouble oh, Man. Man, right? Man, the instrumental, yeah, you got it. I'm you, hypnotic. You yeah. got
1: to listen to that. They the deluxe version came out last year, like I told you before. I just found out like three days ago it came out last year. The deluxe version of uh Trouble Man incredible, Yeah.
0: incredible. You gotta hear it. You gotta hear it. And my third is from uh, from the I Want You album, uh, Soon I'll Be Loving You Again. Mm. Mm. The head song. It's <laughs> yes, right, right, right. Right, there you, you go. Nasty motherfucker.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: a song entirely. Okay, let's 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 back up, do some history here now. Marvin has stated that his the ultimate like sign of affection that you that he could give a woman was cunnilingus That's that was his that was his like ultimate sign of devotion to a woman that entire song is about i love you so much you know what I'm saying we reached this point that and it, and it crescendos you know it gets it, it it just builds to this point to the by the end of the song he's like i'm gonna give you some head that's how much i love you you know and so and the song is incredible you know it starts off with very a very relaxed you know what i'm saying tone, he's, yeah and he's, he's kind of he's laying back and he's very relaxed and almost like he's mumbling which he did a lot he mumbled a lot until he came up the lyrics but yeah it, it reaches that crescendo where it's like he's almost losing it where he's getting so excited about giving this woman some head they had the word head on the council him and leon where if you see pictures from that era big sign on the council so they could stay in the mind state of what was going on during the recording of this album just said head First. And that's your pick
3: <laughs> But, that, but that's the, see, that says a lot about look <laughs> about, if he had three about songs arthur. about arthur he say, look, <laughs> he's telling us right now look <laughs> If these are the three songs I got, I'ma get all y'all women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of y'all them a, gotta a, be right so right
3: I'ma I'm get every hey look. Anything happening to me, I'm on this. If I'm alone, if aliens come down, I'm gonna be the one with the women. That's it, I'm gonna be the one I y'all can, y'all can pick all this other BS, it's right. all right, yeah, You play, I'm getting straight to the point.
1: Right, you play holy holy and right. see how that goes right.
3: Right. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna
1: pull out soon I'll be loving you and see what's up. Put holy holy on your slow jam tape. Right, right, right. I'm gonna put this one on mine.
3: And hey, watch what happens.
4: More than you, Goldie, man.
3: Is it. He is. That's a pit move right there.
1: But yeah, I mean, that, you know, that that album, because at the time, I think that was the album recorded. I may be wrong about this. I think that was the album recorded in his recording studio. He had bought a recording studio we called it the Marvin Gaye Studio or whatever. Marvin's, Marvin's
0: room. room. Marvin's room.
1: And that album was recorded there, and the the atmosphere. Around that whole recording session, for how many you know weeks or months it lasted, was basically no pun intended to our to our the constant joke we have on the show, a harem. There was women around. There was just it was a sexual atmosphere. It was basically like this free for all type of feeling that you know if you listen to the album made its way onto the into the wax, and that song in particular again was you know Marvin being very honest and open about and he says Jan you know if you listen to the extended version because
3: Jan and the family upstairs half the time because he had an apartment upstairs the <laughs> right he had an apartment
1: up right there. he had an apartment right. up there. and if you listen to the uh, the extended version you know in the regular version you can hear him softly at the end say you know I love you Janice but it, you listen to extended he, kept, he keeps saying her name you know and she even stated later how it was kind of embarrassing, embarrassing. but mm-hmm. at the same time it was very um, endearing you know saying for him to be that dedicated to her to, to, to do that but yeah, despite the song what was is, going on down, right? Despite all the other other women that was right, around there. Right. but yeah, that old song is built around his, you know, his his idea that, um, you know, giving oral sex to a woman was his, you know, the ultimate devotion. You know, what I'm saying that you can do and it's you know it, it, it's it's we laugh, but it's a lot. I have to give him, you know, again, just kind of getting in awe of him again, taking this concept that today's R and B singers just throw around, you know, like whatever, and you know, even the rappers. You know, going down on him, giving a hit. It's like whatever. It's a it's a throwaway. Taking a concept like that and not only doing an entire song around it, but really how do I say, you know, honoring it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? It's like it, he right. just he uplifted and put it on his pedestal. Where it's like, look, this act of performing oral sex on a woman is this huge sign of love. That's that's pure Marvin. You know, that's that's pure Marvin. It's
3: pure Arthur too.
2: <laughs>
1: okay.
3: My my three <laughs>
1: Um, I wanted to to divide this up because basically, to me, you know, this is an impossible thing to do anyway, and I'm the one that came up with this idea, I think, which was yeah, I had like sixty, but uh, now to do it by three, I had to to make myself do. I had to break it up by what I perceive Marvin's, you know, how I could divide his catalog up. So I looked at it from a spiritual uh, perspective. You know, he had the spiritual songs, then he had the romantic love songs, then he had the destructive, you know, the sad love songs. So. The spiritual um, is holy, holy, uh, uh, which was I think John's number one pick. Live or the I will take either one, but I would prefer. I'll prefer, and I know you guys say you can't. and I get it; you can't separate what's going on. But I would, and the reason I would do that is because Marvin was more comfortable in the recording booth than on stage. You know, even though he was great on stage, he believed that you could that he you could only perceive, you can only achieve perfection in the recording booth which led to a lot of experimentations that he did. Like we talked about with the multi-tracking, uh, uh, voice tracking, vocal tracking. But Holy Holy to me, and, and a lot of Marvin's catalog to me, one of the reasons I love him so much is that when I listen to it, I feel very connected to him personally. He's speaking not to me, but it's like we're having a conversation. Whereas like with the live version that Jahan described, and I know what he's talking about in the interplay with the audience, which I agree with them is brilliant. But if I only could, if that if I only had three songs I could listen to the first of my life, I don't want to hear them. Like I don't want to hear everybody else. Like this is between me and Marvin. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It's like I don't need all y'all involved in this. So I want the the, the version that's on what's going on. Um, and just to talk about that song for a minute, in the context of that album, like you guys said, you know, it's hard to separate it because you go from right on to those that piano chop at the end of right on that is very funky. And very danceable and suddenly it just slows down into this progression that leaps off into these strings and i don't know if it's a violin or whatever but it just leaps into these strings that becomes holy holy it's like listening to it and if you you gotta listen to it on headphones if you haven't listened to it before holy. it's 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 almost chilling this transition And then of course, Holy Holy ends, and then the piano picks up again with Inner City Blues. Um, But yeah, I would take that song, and it's it's a beautiful, uh, it's almost a ballad to God, you know. And I'm not I'm not a Christian, but I am a uh, spiritual person. And Marvin was a devout Christian, you know, uh, throughout his life, even though he didn't go to church uh, once he uh, left his father's house. Um, And they had a peculiar, I think John, you and I talked about it before. I can't remember the name of his uh, the sect or the. the church that his father was ahead of um, but it was a very different it wasn't Baptist it wasn't Methodist it was very different um, Marvin was a devout Christian so obviously this song and a lot of other songs what's going on reflects his Christian beliefs but I think he even left outside of that he, he talked before about how he respected all religions um, and as a non-religious person but a spiritual person this song to me uh, really sounds like a ballad almost to the Creator and it's, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful song, beautifully uh, arranged, beautifully played, beautifully sung. Um, and it's, it's almost a plea, you know, a plea towards humanity to return to this this idea of spiritualness. Um, that's that's beautiful to me. So that would be my spiritual pick. Uh, from a destructive, sad love point of view, I was going to go with Just Keep You Satisfied. Um, and John, like, pretty much mentioned every reason why I would go with that song. Um but just for the sake of variety since he kind of uh you know explained that one so well I would I would say Anna Song and I mentioned it before Anna Song um to me is this is one Anna of song. a few examples I can give that like I said with Shadow of Your Smile where I would say this is the epit this is Marvin at the at the peak of his powers um, to the point where he doesn't he does scream like one time in Anna Song he yells he screams her name uh almost in agony um but for the most part of that song he's very soft, very quiet, um, contemplative um, and the song is about all these this beautiful imagery everything from taking a bath in milk to uh, uh, like I said to sitting and watching children play in the snow. It's all these beautiful images but at the same time you're listening to it and you can't escape the fact that his voice is relating this this uh, the impact of the dissolution of his marriage you know. You can feel it through his voice, even if you can't hear it in the lyrics. Um, and by the end of the song, like I said, he's he says, you know, uh, uh, you know, I knew all along, uh, you know, I'd give you. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I knew all along I'd give you a song, and he he hands it to her. Here it is, my here it is, my dear, and it's just wow. You know, I've listened to that song probably as much as I listen to any Marvin Gaye song, um, and it's 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 just it's uh it's it's the impact on you when you listen to it is tremendous uh romantic love i gotta go with uh come live with me angel off of uh i want you Mm -hmm. this song caught me completely off guard because i thought i had about 10 years ago i thought i had heard everything on i want you Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason i just i played the album and this song i was like how did i miss this you know because i wasn't you know when it was hitting on the radio i was you know uh, three years old, so two years old. But I, you know, somehow I just missed this song all these years. And this song, to me, epitomized Marvin's idea of both romantic and sexual love. You know, the last maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, two minutes of the song, especially the extended version, he's almost floating. And I'm sure he was probably high when he recorded it, because mm-hmm. they say he was high when he did most things. Mm-hmm. But He's floating. You know, and he's he's going he's going back and forth between actually speaking lyrics and just kind of humming, um, and it's very to me uh, reminiscent of maybe a guitar solo by another artist. You know, it's his solo that he does strictly with his voice, um, and it, it you know the whole song does this. But if you just want to listen to those last few minutes, they pretty much sum up his idea to me of you know sexual romantic love. Um, And it's not, it's technically not a slow jam. It is, it's more mid-tempo, you know, but it is, you could get away with putting it on your slow jam tape, you know, but it's not a slow jam in the sense of, you know, uh, Distant Lover or uh, Let's Get It On or some of these other songs are. It's more of a mid-tempo joint, but when that horn comes in at the end and Marvin starts kind of just getting lost in the song, you go with it, you know, and you're suddenly floating in this place where you know, it's like you fall in love with Jim. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's where he that's where he gets you get um, you. So that would be my, my romantic love, so spiritual, romantic and destructive type of sad love. I would have to take those things with me. And yes, I would want to take divided soul, but I can't. But I would want to.
2: That
1: album, I'm gonna, tell you, I'm gonna tell you right now. If you love music and you have not read that book, then you are you're hurting yourself. Even if you don't, if you, if you ain't like Marvin. Got to read that book because David Ritz basically, I, mean, I you know, help me out school. He just he 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 creates a a, a Bible almost for what music was at that time and moving forward. Mm-hmm. And Marvin is like the lead character in this story, um, but David does the beautiful, the genius thing of showing you how Marvin relates to other artists from the past and moving forward his impact. You know, other other artists down the line. I was haunted by that book. I read that book maybe twelve years ago and I read it quickly and then I read it again. And I had dreams, you know what I'm saying, about these, you know, images I saw in this book. Yeah. This this it just it just had a huge impact on me and it made me re-listen to, you know, Marvin's catalog and see it from a different point of view, a more informed, you know, yeah. point of view. So I gotta say If you have not read that book You know that book is Is you know As you said I think before You know what book Would you want buried with you That that one would be going with me
0: This has been episode 18 Of the Music Snobs Podcast Part one of our special retrospective On the life of Marvin Gaye We'll have part two coming up later on but we want to thank you for joining us and invite you to visit us online at themusicsnobs.com our twitter handle is total music snobs and the full show library can be found at soundcloud.com slash snobs.